0: This is the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. And now, here is your host, Paul Samuel Dolman.
1: Welcome back to What Matters Most. Hello, everyone around the world who tunes in got a great letter from france uh shout to jean uh for the great note and thank you for listening and the ideas and the feedback i hope you appreciated my reply i know you did you wrote back and if we ever get over there i'd love to meet or wherever you are in the world uh, it's so fun to have people come together in this tribe and community from all over the place the magic of the internet today i have a nice gift for you Just an incredibly creative, artistic soul, is an author, is a well-known artist too, primarily based out of Chicago. He's written two, co-written, collaborated in these two books, uh, LGBTQ Plus Icons, and he also has a book called Science People. Couldn't put them down. They're just, it's just fascinating. It's an honor to finally welcome to the show, David Lee Sisco. Thanks for coming on, David. Oh, thank you. Why Chicago? Why are why do you stay through the winters? <laughs> I always want to ask people Chicago that. I don't. I can't figure it out. Uh,
0: well, t- today it is really cold. It's it's like twenty five, but feels like ten. And I was trying to walk my little dachshund Ugo, and we got about three blocks, and the wind was blowing so hard. I just said <laughs> we have to go home. Uh, and he was even wearing a sweater, uh, a wool sweater, but it was it was really cold. Um, well. Chicago has always been my New York City. And um, Chicago has been a wonderful place for me where uh, really right out of art school, um, give or take a couple of years, I was able to participate with wonderful places. And um, I don't know if that would have happened if I if I went to New York. Uh, So Chicago has always been home and uh, uh, I'm I'm staying at least for the near future.
1: It's an underrated art city too, isn't it? Cause I've been up there many times. There's a lot of art and culture.
0: There's a lot of art and culture. There's it's, it's always ever changing. Um, it's an incredible center of architecture, really great architecture of the past as well as contemporary buildings. Um, there's lots of arts organizations, lots of music organizations, um, all kinds of things. And, and, Thankfully, we live in an age now where representation is very important. And so communities that may not have been represented um, are getting representation. And it's wonderful because there's this wonderful exchange between communities that um, may not have happened in the past, but but a lot of good people in these organizations are striving for inclusion and, and being seen
1: why has chicago excelled in that area in your opinion
0: i I think could be it's 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 a really diverse place i mean uh it has as a town where immigrants came because of um work possibilities you have a a giant polish population a strong hispanic population um very large african-american population uh and and other other groups uh that that just ha- happened to be here probably driven because this, the Midwest was a place for employment in in the um I grew up in a in a steel mill community I grew up in Hammond Indiana where almost everyone in my family worked in the steel mills except me um and uh sh- Chicago just just has uh, there's there's a lot of very motivated people like I know a lot of young people in classical music who are really trying to um, break break boundaries. There's a a really young, talented uh, cellist who got a grant. He's super smart, got a grant, and created a program called uh, Haydn's Favorite Pizza, where he just gathers people together, plays some Haydn music, and then he orders pizza, and everyone eats pizza and talks about the music. And I just thought that's an amazing thing. And there's a big community in baroque music. Um, there's at least four or five different organizations. The uh, Paul University just built a baroque opera theater, so students can sing in an intimate space um, with amazing acoustics and, and these wonderful small ensembles that you would have heard back in the in in the era of when baroque music and opera was first getting started, which is amazing um that that's all here uh and there's so many theater groups here chicago is like home to storefront theater and uh a lot of good things here that eventually make their way eastward or other places but there's a a really nice community here of of people in the arts um and and i've been lucky because i've been welcomed into it and uh i love being a part of it
1: One of those fabulous things that made its way East and then everywhere was president Obama and Michelle. And you have a history with them. How did you guys all connect? I know you did some stuff at the white house for Christmas, but I'm guessing you probably knew him before that.
0: No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, But, 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 um, I was a a supporter and voted and, um, actually had an amazing experience the day the, uh, when he, when, when he won the election, um, I, at the time, uh, I had a studio, I've always had a studio downtown, but because of COVID, um, everything changed and and the mayor said, if you don't have to go to work, stay home when COVID first began. And so I started working from home and, and have continued to, and it's, it's amazingly easy to work from home. But um, back then uh but word was out that there was going to be this enormous enormous celebration in grant park which was not far from where my studio was and so i left early to avoid the crowds and not be able to get home and um we went to watch the election returns at my friend's house and when obama won ohio my friend goes let's get our bikes (laughs) we have to be there so we my partner and i ran to our house a few blocks away, hopped on our bikes, and the three of us rode along the lakefront, which is a glorious bike path. And we got as far as we could till the police said, you, ha- you can't ride your bike anymore. You have to, if you wanna go to the event, you'll have to walk your bike. So we walked our bikes for about a mile, um, chained them near the Art Institute Museum. And then one of my friends had press co- press credentials, And we were able to get into this event. We couldn't get close, but it was one of those historic moments where I felt like this is what it was like when Abraham Lincoln died and his casket went on a train and people came from all over to see it pass. And there were all kinds of families and an enormous um, celebration from the African-American community of parents holding their kids on their shoulders and kids were climbing into trees just to get a glimpse of, of Barack and Michelle and their family far away on, but, but there were these giant screens so you could see everything, but it was incredibly special. And, um, and then there was just such joy in the air and it just felt like good things were going to happen. So, so it was an, it was amazing thing. And it was wonderful to, to sort of be a part of that just as a, as, as a citizen. and um and then it was amazing walking home uh with pushing the bikes. You couldn't even walk down the main glorious street is michigan avenue in in, in downtown Chicago. So we are walking our bikes with with the throngs of thousands, and we we're crossing the Michigan Avenue Bridge as it crosses um the Chicago River. And uh, there are two African American guys walking next to me and one of them said Harold Ch- Harold's chicken in the in in the White House and Harold's chicken is this sort of south side chicken place and and everyone just cheered and it was just this sweet moment of chicago and 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 the whole country being connected so jump ahead 4 years later um previous to that um I won a competition to design a chapel um, for Lori Children's Hospital, which is the big children's hospital. And I um, actually won the competition twice. <laughs> the first time I won the competition, um, I, I um, beat a large Munich firm that makes lots of stained glass and lots of mosaics, especially in New York and, and, and all over the place, but they usually get all the jobs. And they picked me over them and they had so much power that um, they, they demanded a second competition. So I entered the competition again, and, and, and then I won. And it was like David and Goliath. And um, I won, and so I I designed this chapel, which was all based on uh, nature. So when I say I designed it, I designed the stained glass windows and I designed the mosaics. The, it was designed by an architect, but they wanted this to be this sort of multi-faith, interfaith chapel that um, would work with all, religions and all faiths and so it, w- it was determined that the, the best route would be images of nature so i did these stylized trees with lake michigan in the background and it was just inc- intended to be a calming space well the woman who was working for the white house uh was hired her firm was hired to um plan when the hospital opened and they had a big gala with with celebrities um they gave her a tour of the hospital, and they said, "This is this is the chapel, which was designed by David Lee Sisco." And she remembered that. And then years later, she called me one day and said, "Hey, I'm in charge of picking the artists to work at the White House for Christmas, um, and we were thinking it would be great to have you design stained glass Christmas wreaths." And I and I thought this is fantastic. This is, this is, this is amazing. And, and quietly in my mind, I thought you're calling me at the right time in my life. And, um, and I, and I, I thought of this as this opportunity to, to work with craftspeople people from across the country and sort of create something that had never been seen before, but was wonderful and welcoming. And, um, so, so I began working on it and, uh, She presented the designs to Michelle and we got the green light. And then uh, I worked with teams of artists. I created these large, uh, very creative, round stained glass windows and found a person in Arkansas who made round frames that that you could put a stained glass window in. So they were made in Arkansas, shipped to Chicago. I worked with a stained glass person who I've worked with for quite a while. Um, in uh, Riverside, Illinois, which is just outside of Chicago. And my idea, so I look, I Googled what does a stained glass Christmas tree look like? And it looked like something that you could get at Home Depot, even though you can't. And I thought, no, this needs to be an American triumph of ingenuity and, and imagination. So I thought, well, what would happen if a snowflake and a Christmas tree produced something to look at? And so that's where I sort of started with these glass glass Christmas threes. Um, and then I just like asked artists, glass artists from around the country, if they would send me um, their things. And then I incorporated Rondell's and um, millefiori and things made by a, a glass maker in Philadelphia, one in Boston, one in um, uh, Milwaukee. And it all kind of came together. And then we they drew the stained glass maker drove everything to to Washington, and they're huge. They're like four feet by four feet. And then Michelle really liked what she was seeing. So they said, you can do some more things. So I wound up designing these large wooden cutout Christmas trees, which look like a cross between Scandinavia and Poland and Hungary. And I'm always trying to make things multicultural. So we got to do these wonderful white cutout trees, which were in the first lady's garden. And then back in, when this whole thing started, basically just before July 4th, I was sent to the White House to present the ideas to the um, woman who was in charge of flowers for the White House. And we started talking and she said, well, for the first time, we're gonna use pineapples. And she said, do you know what the significance of using a pineapple in in a floral arrangement? I said, well, back in colonial times, um, the, Pineapple, pineapple was a symbol of welcome, and so I said I've included a pineapple in one of the stained glass windows. And uh, she said, "Well, let me see these." So I, I opened them, my designs, and showed it to her in what is known as the Red Room, which is where, which is sort of a library in the public spaces of the White House. And and she really embraced the ideas. She said, "This these are so modern and fresh, and they totally feel like the Obamas." So we got green lights all the way around. And it was an, it was an amazing experience. It was a lot of hard work, um, but it was incredibly special to, like like when, when uh, and then I'm sort of rambling here, but we we got to this one room, um, which is the state dining room. And this woman who's very gracious turned to me and she said, well, what are your plans for the state dining room? And I said, what do you mean? What are my plans for you? She goes, well, that's another one of your projects. And I said, I didn't know that. I said, can you give me a few minutes, a few minutes? And I and I thought I have to kill time, but still come up with an idea at the same time. And I had read um, a biography of Constance Spry, who was the woman who did the flowers for Queen Elizabeth's inauguration, Queen Elizabeth's coronation. And I mentioned it. I said, but have you read the biography about Constance Sprung?" she goes, it's on my bedside table and I can't put it down. And I thought, thank goodness I read books. <laughs> and, and I'm talking to someone who would embrace this, this book. And so we got along great. Um, and I designed planter boxes for topiary trees for the White House, um, also ceramic Christmas ornaments. And then a friend of mine who does needlepoint has always wanted to take one of my designs and make it into a needlepoint pillow, and I thought we need to make a a, a pillow for the president. So I designed this non-fascist-looking eagle. When you look at at eagles as decoration, they can often veer towards fascism. So I tried to draw this friendly eagle and create a pillow that they could that was sort of Christmasy, but they could leave it out all the time. And uh, she then took my design um, send it to a company that transfers it to needlepoint. And she worked on it while her mother was suffering with pancreatic cancer. And she just worked on it the entire time her mom was sick. And then she goes, there's no one to, uh, to block this, to be turned into a pillow. So I said, send it to me and I'll find someone. So I, um, called a friend of mine who is a sicilian immigrant and she said i can i can do the blocking so she blocked it so it was ready to be made into a pillow and then she gave it to her husband who is a romanian immigrant and i picked it up from him and then i drove it to my sister in the country who then turned it into a pillow and then i i carried it on the plane to go to the white house and um and and it, it turned out terrifically but i had to guard it with my life because when you're working on this sort of thing, it's sort of like being on one of those awful reality shows where you're defending your life all the time, because there were constantly people going, what is this? What is this here? And I was like, this is, this hasn't been placed yet, but it was made for the white house. It's part of the decorations. And every day I would leave it in this place and then it wouldn't be taken. And then I would, I would take it back with me to the hotel. And then I just kept talking to the supervisor saying, you need to place this pillow because people want to get it out of here. and and you don't know how much, you can't comprehend how many people worked on this pillow for the president. And so um, the day of the uh, of the event where, where they have a party to thank all the volunteers and the artists who work on it, um, Michelle entered the room to thank everyone. And it was a sea of old ladies, like all about, like the people in St. Augustine, all about four and a half feet tall. And I'm six, I'm I'm six feet tall on a good day. And and I saw her there and I and I kept saying, excuse me, excuse me. And this these old lady said, if we can't get next to Michelle, you can't. We're not moving. But luckily, luckily, my partner, also named David, made his way right up to Michelle. And he um said, as she was leaving after she welcomed everyone, he said, he said, um, the guy who illustrated the skin you live in, your favorite book is the one who did all of this. And she said, well, where is he? And I said, I'm over here. And I waved, I waved, I waved. And then Michelle told her assistant, a very handsome guy named Clay, that that she wanted to take a picture with us. And so um, we were whisked away into this private elevator. We met Michelle and got to talk to her for about 10 minutes and talk about the work and the designs. And I also had done a a portrait of their family and she hadn't seen it yet it it had been received in the receiving room of where gifts go but it takes a long time for it to be processed and uh um we said well where is the pillow she goes oh it's it's in a wonderful spot it's on this beautiful bench underneath this painting of lady liberty so uh clay then took us to see the pillow and it was it was terrific because like i had it, it was it was what everyone dreams of like being you know connected to a good president and 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 giving it your best and and celebrating what I think is what America is supposed to be about which is innovation even in design and even in something um like like a a holiday decoration that it can it can be more but you have to you know bring all of your smarts to the table and all worked out and everybody really really liked it and then the second year was sort of a mini recession. So they just, they put them back up again because they didn't want to spend more money. Um, So it was a great experience. So I hope that answers your question.
1: Incredible answer. Did you ever think in your wildest dreams growing up as a son of steel people that you'd be at the White House?
0: No, no, it it was.
1: Hanging out with the president, the first lady, designing this thing, bringing in a pillow, painting, crazy.
0: It's, cra- it's crazy, but uh, what was interesting was that um, the year before, two days before Christmas, my mother passed away suddenly of a heart attack. And after she died, two days before Christmas, um, I came back to Chicago and I was walking to catch the bus because at the time I didn't have a car and I was catching and I love public transportation. And I was walking from my house to Lakeshore Drive to catch the express bus to downtown and I saw a robin in one tree and then two in the next, three in the next. And as I made my way all the way to the whole long block, uh, the final image was of, of like 30 robins sitting in this tree. And the day that I presented the designs to the woman in charge of decorate, flower decorations and flower arrangements for the White House, um, and she liked it so much, when I was leaving the White House, I, before I went through the last gate, there's a, a long colonnade or an L A. But there's about ten benches, so I sat on the bench to sort of take in what had happened. And a, a robin landed right next to me and just kind of looked at me. And I felt like it was this this message from my mom. So it's very special.
1: I have that with birds and other signs: hawks, owls, cardinals. Does she ever come back to you in dreams and or in other ways where you feel her presence?
0: Every, every night, uh, uh, like once a year, I, I have a fun dream with her, but, but I often think of her because she was such a, uh, um, a champion of, of what I do and um, uh, was an amazing reader. And so I keep thinking that she would love these books because she, she could read three books a week um, and had never had the opportunity to go to college. Um, uh, she just stayed at home. My dad worked in the steel mills, and. Um, but she was always reading, and she just was reading book book clubs and joining book clubs like all kinds of them. She even joined a Jewish book club, and we weren't Jewish. <laughs> um, but she just, you know, looked for every opportunity to to engage with people and, and talk about books. So the fact that I'm now making these books um, is is terrific because I feel like uh, it, it's it's a great way to bring all of my interests together and something you can hold in your hand. And also telling the stories of people that if we don't tell their stories, they're going to disappear. Um, and I think that's very, very important. And hopefully, we keep this alive for younger generations, and that they 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 find some connection. Um, because each generation loses information as you go to the next. And obviously, the world changes every time. But there's a lot of amazing things that have happened in the past that we can we can learn about and and figure out how how that can influence us
1: why are we slow slow to embrace this equality and the fact that people are just so different because it, human beings are so varied look at you all of us the listeners around the world we don't fit into tiny little categories two or three categories we're varied we're infinite why why is equality so threatening just because somebody's different
0: well ha- having lived through the last administration you you can you, you can see uh just how, 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 in my mind, living through the Obama administration, it just felt like the, there were infinite possibilities that we were getting closer to to equality for everyone. And and then the next administration comes, and it's like like a bad principal at a school who's not open minded and says it's this way. We're doing it this way, and whatever you have to say. I'm not interested in. And I had those experiences in, in school. Like I was, I was supported, um, I'm a unique person because I'm a dyslex- dyslexic left-handed artist, but uh, things like math and and spelling and writing were very awkward for me. And I, I my, I was a good student. I wasn't a, I wasn't on an honor roll, but I was a very good student and I love learning and I love theater and I love music and and especially I loved art. Um, But uh, I was looking at what to take my last semester of my senior year and I had all the credits I needed, but you still had to take uh, classes. So I found out that there was this independent study on creative writing. And so I signed up for it and then the instructor said, you're the only one who signed up for this class, so you can take it and I'll meet you after school, but I can't guarantee you'll get a credit for it. So we had this wonderful relationships where I wrote a lot of really sensitive bad poems. And, um, but I wrote a really good short story, but she really believed in what I did. And then she said, well, you need to present this to the principal. And so I did, and he looked at it and he goes, yeah, I don't think this is, this is worthy of a credit. And I just thought, I'm I'm 18 <laughs> and I don't have a lot of experience, but I know that if a student comes to you and has worked hard, that you should embrace it rather than say no. And that's something that's always stuck with me, that um, you have to defend your ideas. You have to be able to express yourself, talk about it. And um, it's it was sort of a learning lesson, but it, it kind of has has helped me when when times are tough that that you don't get that project but if you apply yourself you 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 will get another project so I I equate that with with the Trump administration and a bad principle that that there's always someone who's going to say no to something that's wonderful
1: when did you give yourself permission to be an artist It was what I wanted to be from day
0: one. I just remember, I always remember drawing, um, drawing all the time, loving it, um, getting getting good grades. It's sort of like training to be an artist is like training for the Olympics. That if you're a good athlete, obviously you you know everyone like encourages you to be better, and you you have to train for it. And and art is the same way. Uh, It takes lots of hours drawing and thinking and looking and luckily i met a lot of i had a lot of really good teachers along the way um wonderful teachers at grade school and um and then in high school i had a really tough art teacher who really should have been teaching college and not high school and so it was mostly kids who had all got a's in in uh, grade school now they're in high school he, he said you're not going to get an a unless you work really really hard and um But he liked me, but he really, really pushed me and also was very challenging um, and really tough. And so that sort of prepared me for when I got to art school where suddenly, you know, you might've been the best artist where you came from, but now you're with the best of the best of the best of the best. And then you just sort of keep navigating your way through and learning and constantly being challenged. And I remember I had this very, Queenie, Queenie, muscular art t- design teacher, Mr. Jurgens. Who? Um, this was in ninth, the fall of 1975, and um, we had to buy these these things called color aid. And what color aid was was a packet of about a hundred pieces of paper that were silk screened with color, um, different kinds of colors and it was expensive it was like $100 to buy a box so usually four students would go in on it spend $25 and then you would buy it in the art supply store and then they would cut it into four sections and then each student had a packet of 100 colors and you had to use it as a way to figure out a color palette and so um he came he came to my desk and I was picking out the colors that I was working with and he said he goes well why don't you try pink and i and i had and i had developed these prejudices about color and i said oh i could never use pink um thinking that guys don't use pink and and he goes i have an idea i want you to pick out all the colors you don't like and i'll come back in half an hour so i picked out all the colors like chartreuse and hot pink and, and different colors and and then he came back to my desk. And he said, "Look at that fabulous color palette. Look at that. Isn't that just gorgeous?" And suddenly, I I saw things in a new light because of, of this little project he gave me to do. And suddenly, I was free of of all of those silly things that we think about with what colors we like and we don't like. And it was it was an amazing thing. And and then. The next year, I had a another design teacher that just refined the things I learned with Mr. Juergens and, and so on and so on and so on. And then as you go through, the school I went to was the Cleveland Institute of Art. And at the time, it was a five-year school, not a four-year school. And um, I just kind of figured my way out. And, and I originally wanted to go and be a, a children's book illustrator. But... I was also good at painting and the painting people didn't like the people in commercial art, commercial art, people didn't like people in fine art. So it was this weird duality. And um, uh, in the end, I wound up choosing fine art, but I took graphic design on the side. Um, But then when I was in painting, I found there were all these weird things to navigate. uh, And I just wound up being really unhappy. So then I switched over to uh back into graphic design and then when i was about to graduate they said you know when when you had to choose your major for your third year you were our, our star candidate to get a full ride for the rest of the school but they didn't tell me that and i picked fine arts instead but then switched later but again that was one of those learning lessons like um there are opportunities and then there aren't opportunities so but during while I was in school and taking graphic design, I, I solved every everything with an illustration or, or a painting. And I wasn't so much interested in, in working with type as I wanted to create strong illustrations that communicated. And all of that has really helped me um, illustrate these books now um, because I can bring all of my sensibilities and the things that I love about art and, and looking, at, uh, looking into things. Like I would love doing research. Um, especially visual research. So doing these, these book projects has been a lot of fun. Um, And I have, I developed this sort of homemade way of of making images where I'll I'll look up on Google search images of, let's say Frida Kahlo and find a bunch of pictures. And then I'll quickly draw it in a few seconds in my sketchbook. Then I'll take a picture with my sketchbook, send it to my computer, and then I'll, use it as a reverse layer. So it's like hidden back there, but I can freeze it. And then I can start crafting the illustration on the computer, but it it still contains the energy of that first sketch, even though it's sharp lines and hard shapes, it has an energy that I wouldn't get if I didn't sketch ahead of time. I love sketching. I love taking a sketchbook and walking through the city, walking through an art museum. Um, I was recently in Paris for a week and I was walking through Père Lachaise Cemetery, the famous cemetery, where all the famous people were buried. And I just had a great time drawing headstones and seeing these de- de- decaying um, graves and thinking, well, I have an idea for a children's book based on my visit to there. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that the next time you want to talk to me.
1: How did these two books come together? I love the idea. And they're just super easy to read and interesting. And, and they're historical.
0: Thanks. So, so, yeah. So a while ago, a while ago, like 10 years ago, I started doing portraits of composers, which was kind of an idea I had. A friend of mine was a harpsichordist, and I saw on Facebook that he was giving a, a Bach recital of Bach harpsichord music. And I thought, I can help you out with a quick poster. So I did this really fast drawing of Bach. And... And I posted it, and a lot of people said, "Hey, this is really cool." And I thought, well, I'll draw some more composers." And so then I started like doing composer birthdays just as something to do for fun. And um, then I got to March, where there's like a hundred people were hundred composers were born in March, way way more than I expected. And I was trying to get them all done. And somehow they these composers caught the eye of someone who was a Facebook friend, but somebody that I had not met. And he was out in California and he goes, you know, I think these would be great note cards to sell at the LA Philharmonic. I I bring them cool projects and they have a beautiful curated uh, gift shop. So uh, he presented them and they said, well, we want him to come in and talk to us. So I have some really good friends who live in Santa Monica. So I said, hey, I'm going to stay with you guys and make this presentation. Um, And so I presented it to this woman and her two younger employees. And she was kind of like the Wicked Witch of the West. And she goes, well, I like these, but I'm just going to buy one of this and two of that. I was like, no, if we're going to make these into no cards, you have to buy 100 at a time or 50 at a time because I can't afford to print them. And and so then she left. And then one of the young people called and said, hey, she's gone. We're in charge. We want to order these cards. So they ordered six composers and the guy called me up and he goes, You won't believe it, but we're sold out. He goes, Everyone loves your images of composers. They're they're fresh and they're new and they're they're different from what we have. And I said, This is cool. So I just kind of kept going. And then that led me to trying to sell them at the Metropolitan Opera and at Carnegie Hall and a couple of orchestras and symphonies around the country. And it kind of took off. And then I started like thinking, what's the next the next subject? And so I started working on um architects, then it turned to scientists, then it turned to, I, I had a show at the Alliance Francaise, where it's a wonderful place in Chicago where you can take French, and they celebrate French culture. And so I proposed to them that, that I have this exhibit of famous people in the arts in Paris in the 20th century, which is an amazing time where you have two world wars, you've got Stravinsky with the Rite of Spring, you've got Christian now you've, you've got all of these artists you've got all the great filmmakers you have all these thinkers you've got Sartre you've got it goes on and on and on. so I had this very successful exhibit of doing these fun portraits and then it 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 um the French hotel in Chicago said we should hang these here and so I kept dreaming that this would be an exhibit in Paris someday but it hasn't happened yet but I'm still trying to make that happen but to get to the books um uh, like a year ago maybe two years ago now, um, in, no, it was a year ago, a year ago in March, um, an art director I had worked with at Marshall Fields department store in the eighties found me. And, um, he said, Hey, I, um, I have a publishing company and I publish art books. And my wife and I were talking and said, what's David Lee Cisco up to? We should see if he wants to do some books. And so I said, I've got tons of things to show you. So I brought him these portfolios of, Things I was working on, he said, the first book we're going to do is 50 People in Science. And so we started working on that. But at the same time, I was talking to uh, a guy named Owen Keenan, who's sort of the official, unofficial gay historian in Chicago. And at the time, he worked at the independent bookstore um, a few blocks from my house, an amazing bookstore called Unabridged Books. And we were standing in front of the LGBTQ section in the bookshop. And I said, you know, if we worked on a book, I think it'd be a lot more interesting visually and more fun and poignant. Um, We should do that. And he goes, I bet we could get some funding. So he talked to a friend of his who had started the Legacy Project, which is about two blocks from my house. It's an open air museum of 40 people who have all passed away, who made contributions to society happened to be lgbtq so it's these rainbow pylons and on each one is a bronze photograph of someone with a short bio and owen wrote all of those bios and so that group got a grant which now sounds super controversial but they got a grant to teach gay history to little kids in school and something that's never going to happen in florida currently but we started wor- working on that and then uh, at the time, I was hanging out, well, a, a woman I knew um, said she was going to go traveling for a month, and she wanted to know if David and I would, would house sit her beautiful home in Douglas, Michigan. So I was working on this project, and I would send her, I said, here's what I'm doing while I'm in your house, and looking at your beautiful view at this gorgeous, small lake. And um, she goes, these are really cool, these images, she goes, you should send these to Someone I know who's doing a history on gay history and Saugatuck, Michigan. So, Saugatuck, Michigan has always been this liberal place of the arts, about two and a half hours outside of Chicago, and also the summer school of the Chicago School of the Art Institute. And um, so, I showed my drawings to the History Museum there. And they said, Why don't we make a show of this? And so, since it has this since sagatuck and douglas had this strong connection to the arts i decided to make it um art focused so it's poets writers musicians singers playwrights artists and i asked owen to write the bios we picked uh 24 people and then the publisher Um, Sam Landers, he and his wife live uh, just outside of Douglas. And so he went to the opening. He goes, David, this should be our first book. And I was like, wait a second. I spent the whole summer drawing 50 scientists. We have to do the science. He goes, we'll do that. But I really feel like this book needs to come out now. I really want this book to come out now. So go home and draw 35 more people and we'll figure out who's going to be in it. So I talked to um, Owen who said he was game to uh, write the bios, and then we kind of had arm wrestling matches as to who was going to be in the book because he had his favorites, I had my favorites, and had we had it wind up with with an even number of fifty. And so, um, so it, the 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 book begins, the LGBTQ book begins with Tchaikovsky and ends with George Michael. So everyone in the book um, had to have been someone who had passed away. That was sort of the guideline of the, of the book, and um, but with the book, we were really trying to 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 put a spotlight on people that that maybe you've never heard of or who've fallen between the cracks, and also to be to have a great sense of diversity. So um, it's an equal representation of uh, male and female, and a handful of trans people are are, are in the book so but we were always like striving for a really strong sense of diversity we we really believed in that so did the publisher so um the book came the book has come out and it's doing terrific i'm so happy about it and then the science book came out um a couple months later and again it was all it was all about diversity and the science book we have more women than men represented in the book and so those were very like deliberate choices uh and so how we came up with that list was um, it actually wound up being a, a a pet project during the Trump administration that anytime um, President Trump would say something bad about a particular country, I would look up, who's the most famous scientist from Mexico? And it led me to India and Africa and various places. And I started building this portfolio of images. And then they also, the publisher, their um education team crafted up a list a list of people who had won awards in science and uh um, and so we just sort of like wound up with this wonderful collection of people and um because i'd been working on the lgbtq icons in the arts book and and i suddenly thought researching for the science book there must be uh trans scientists that we May not be aware of. So it's so easy, you just type it into your com- computer. And um, I came up with two. One was uh, um, a scientist uh, uh, who had transitioned from woman to man, but had died in, in California. But there was a currently, there's a scientist whose name is Clara Barker. And um, she's a scientist who's based out of Oxford University and i thought she must have a instagram page so i looked it up and sure enough um there it was and uh so i wrote to her via instagram and um i'm, I'm thumbing through because i'm trying to find her image in the book but uh yeah clara barker and um i wrote to her on instagram and i said hey i'm working on this science project and I'd like to draw your portrait. Would you be would you be okay with that? And she said, Yes, yes, yes. And I said, Well, in, in the science book, what makes it different from the other book is that there's a tool that people use, whether it's a microscope or a telescope, a variety of thing, whatever, whatever was the, the right tool to choose with that scientist. Um, I said, Is there something that you use that I could draw? And she said, you know, you should watch this video I just made about dark matter and And so I was waiting and waiting. And since there's a big time difference, she's at Oxford in England, Um, it never came through. And so then I wrote to her the next day saying, hey, I think you forgot to attach the the video. And she goes, and she wrote back, oh, I'm such a spaz. I was playing video games that I totally forgot. Here it is. So I watched the video and it went right over my head. I didn't understand a word of it. But behind her was this interesting tool. So I drew that and um, I drew her with... She dyes her hair uh, pale blue and pale pink for the trans colors um, during Gay Pride Month. And I drew this tool and she has tattoos on her arms. She doesn't dress like a scientist. She wears a black t-shirt with a spiderweb. So I did all of that and I sent it to her and she said she loved it. She gave her blessing. And then out of the blue, she wrote me yesterday saying, hey, is the book out? I want to give it to one of my nieces. So it's just nice to like, someone you don't know but is out there doing amazing things um, to have some sort of a relationship with them but i feel like this is the goal of the book is to bring people together or or share their stories and we're doing it and that's a perfect example of you put yourself out there and hopefully someone listens and good things can happen
1: beautiful words of wisdom before we let you go For anyone listening who has not yet come to terms with the fact that maybe they're not what the mainstream narrative is for normal, uh, what advice would you give? Because it's really hard. I know it's very stressful. Suicide rates are high, drugs, everything. It's, It's tough. And a lot of people live in places where they are not safe, you know, not a big city, or they don't have angels like you did or others. I had angels. What would you say to them? Maybe we could be their angels today, David
0: make yourself available to, you know, find, find, find those ways there, there there are, there are all sorts of, um, helplines that, that can, can help you if you're, if you're in a, in a crisis or you're not sure what to do, but, um, take that bold step to, to be present and hopefully, you know, um, you'll, you'll meet kind people who care about, you even if they don't know you and um it's one of those things where it's it's daunting and scare and scary uh but we're all capable of making a contribution and bringing ourselves to the table And, and and i tell young um art students all the time um think about what you can do that separates you from other people like what is your point of view and figure out the best way to say it and and then present it. You've been listening to the What Matters Most podcast, a 100% listener-supported program. If you feel inspired, please go to our Patreon page at www.patreon.com backslash Most. And join our family. So until the next time, stay inspired and in the light.